following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. So good. What a sweet sentence from that sweet and precious girl. I want to share Jesus's love so that Other people don't have to experience the dark and stuff. Come on, that's as good as it gets. I might as well just sit down and we can just continue singing praises to God. Hey, welcome to church. How we doing? You doing good? I'm glad that you're here. My name's Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you want to make a mark in your Bible, we're gonna be in Genesis chapter four in a few minutes. So you can turn to Genesis chapter four. Uh, But we are continuing and closing out our series called Deeper Still, week six of Deeper Still. And we've been working with this premise that spiritual maturity and emotional health are interrelated, they're synergistic, they're inseparable. Spiritual maturity and emotional health go together, they go together. Ephesians 4, uh, Paul notes this, that God has, been, uh, has given gifts to the church to build them up that we might become mature. Ephesians 4, become mature. And here's how it's defined, that we might grow to the fullness of the stature of Christ, to go and become like Jesus, to be mature, spiritual maturity and emotional health. The goal of discipleship is maturity in Christ or to mature into persons of love. What inhibits that is spiritual immaturity and emotional unhealth. Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, says this, we live from our depths, most of which we don't understand. We live from the deepest places within, most of which we don't understand. And so part of the journey with Jesus is going to our depths. You might've seen a a picture from years back of a diver diving into one of the largest sinkholes in the ocean right off the coast of the Bahamas. This picture of just looking at it terrifies me. I'm struck with fear and anxiety. And that's what it can feel like when we go to the depths, when we start to talk about our spiritual and emotional health, when we go deep with Jesus. Today, we're gonna do that. We're gonna explore this question. What do we do with our wounds? What will you do with your wounds? Or to say it another way, in our discipleship to Jesus, what will God do with our wounds? You might be like, great, I brought a friend to explore the wound Sunday. This is gonna be really fun. (laughs) Yeah, we are, we are. So uh, if you could with me, let's just take a deep breath together and settle in, (sighs) in the presence of God. And I thought to kind of ease into the conversation, uh, I would talk about baseball and Batman. Uh, Not like a bat boy or a bat girl who go to get the bat in a baseball game, but let's start with baseball. Uh, As we explore wounds today, I wanna describe to you kind of the anatomy of a wound, the structure of a wound uh, through a baseball. So I grew up playing baseball. I I remember, you know, being a little kid, picking one up and thinking, this is my game. This is my game. I got to play for a year at the University of Texas at Tyler and had a blast. Ended up feeling called in a different direction, gave up baseball, but never gave up the love for the game. Baseball. My dad, uh, when I was a little kid in little league, he cut a baseball in half and gave it as a game ball to one player and then to me. I got half the game ball, which is really cool. It's one of the first times I got to see the inside of a baseball. Here's how they're made. They've got a cork in the center, surrounded by black and red rubber, and then wool and yarn, and then it's all wrapped up in uh, leather. That's a baseball. It's got a cork in the center that you can't see. It's got yarn around it, and then leather to hold it all together in the stitches. And this is the anatomy of a wound. We have a wound deep within. 
that is wrapped up with lies that we form around the wound. And then we wrap it even tighter and stitch it up with what's called a vow or a resolution. A wound that has lies and a vow. Baseball. Now let's talk Batman, like the Batman. So recently I watched the, the newest Batman um, with emo heartthrob Robert Pattinson. Anybody? Yeah. Uh, director Matt Reeves takes a different angle on Batman, a psychological look, kind of exploring Batman's trauma and his past that affects his present mission and how he became Batman. And what we see with Batman, if you know his story as a young Bruce Wayne, there's two scenes of wounding in his life that shape who he becomes. First is when he falls into a well, and in the well, a swarm of bats swarm and swoop around him. And he's struck with fear, and he has this lie that comes up that I'm not safe. The second scene of wounding is when uh, he leaves the theater with his parents, and they are killed in front of him. And he is struck with fear, and he believes this lie, it's my fault. If only I didn't have to leave the theater, they would have survived. I'm not safe. It's my fault. From two scenes of wounding, the well and the theater. And then the Batman makes a vow, an unconscious vow that forms him to become the Batman. Young Bruce Wayne, I must never be afraid again. I must never let this happen again. And right there, wound, lie, vow, the Batman is born. Baseball. Batman, now let me let you in to some of my wounding. With one story, not a lot, because there are many. But here's one from sixth grade. Much of our wounding happens in our childhood, but today, many of us walked in wounded. Maybe even from the drive to church, you have hurt in your heart. When I was in sixth grade, uh, I went to a Christian athletic camp in Missouri. It was a two-week camp, the first time that I was leaving home. Uh, and it was a two-week-long camp. So I was already a bit nervous, wanted to make friends. I'm a young kid. And on the charter bus there, I'm you know, trying to make friends and get to know uh, who I'm going to be hanging out with for these two weeks. I didn't feel great. Had a bit of a cold. I fall asleep on my pillow. And I wake up to a circle of the same people I'm trying to become friends with, uh, making fun of me because I had snotted and drooled on my pillow. And I remember in that moment, just feeling so like jarringly wounded, so hurt. I felt like, oh man, this embarrassed. And, and kind of this lie formed of like, I, I don't fit in here. I don't belong here. I'm not worthy of these friends. Look at me. I'm the kid who fell asleep and drooled on his pillow. Fast forward into the weeks at camp. Um, as a child, I uh, wet the bed. And that lasted into some middle school years. And what I learned later, uh, you know, how the body is uh, a, a telltale sign of what we're dealing with internally. Um, that's an aspect for children. Wetting the bed is, is, is usually, sometimes, a sign of emotional pain. So I'm in sixth grade. I'm at camp. I'm already hurt from the bus ride. I'm sick. I wet the bed. I go to my counselor and I say, hey, uh, you know, I wet the bed. Can you help me with this? And the counselor's like, yeah, yeah, we'll get the sheets changed for you while you're at rec. I'm like, great, thanks so much. Later that day, we're sitting on the front porch of the cabin and there's a screen door. I can hear the children, my fellow cabin mates, making fun of me, snickering and sneering. They found out. The sheets weren't changed. Counselor forgot. But I'm sitting there on the front porch with the counselor and he apologizes and then he goes, hey, but what are you gonna do about it? What's your response gonna be? And I remember in, in that moment, mustering up the courage that I could, I walk into the cabin and, you know, there's bunk beds surrounding me. And I look up to the guys who were making fun of me. And I was like, you know what, guys? A lot of kids wet the bed. And statistically, like, go through all this stuff. <laughs> you shouldn't be making fun of me. 
I was wounded, I was hurt. Felt this lie, believed this lie that I don't belong here. I don't fit in here. I'm not worthy of these friends. I'm the kid who drooled on the pillow. I'm the kid who wet the bed. And so I formed a vow around that lie from that wound. Said, I'm gonna prove myself worthy. And I did. I won first place in sailing. First place in canoeing. First place in blobbing. If you don't know what blobbing is, jumping onto a giant pillow of air on a lake and launching people off. My blobber name was Frodo Blobbins. Pretty good. <laughs> First place in football. And then at the end of camp, I was awarded the Mighty in Spirit Award because of that moment in the cabin. And while I'm grateful to have a mighty spirit from that moment, to be acknowledged as a gift and calling in life, and God has used that in different ways throughout my story, calling me to places of pain, to live courageously, grateful for that moment. It's also wounded and hurting, living a vow, believing a lie. The lie I'm not worthy, the vow I will prove myself worthy to belong. We live from our depths, says Willard, most of which we don't understand. What are scenes of wounding in your life? What are lies that you've believed? What are vows or resolutions or decisions like the young Bruce Wayne, I must never let this happen again? Or the young Jared Barnett, I will prove myself worthy of belonging. Oftentimes we live unconscious of these vows and lies and wounds. We experience the hurt, we know they're there, we just don't want to go there. But what is a wound? Definition of a wound. Wounds are the absence of love and the presence of pain warped by lies. Wounds are the absence of love, something good that should have been there. The absence of love, it looks like I don't have the safety, the security, the stability, the attachment, the emotional attunement, someone, a caregiver, a parent who would call out God-given gifts and say, you, you're worth something. You've got purpose and meaning. You're loved and you belong. The absence of love the good that should have been there, or the presence of pain, the bad that should not have been there. Emotional abuse, physical abuse, spiritual abuse, words that wounded, or the presence of the evil one himself lied to you. The presence of pain and the absence of love warped by lies, that's, that's a wound. And scripture is one of the only sources where we find all three components of wounding that help us make sense of our story and living in health, spiritual maturity and emotional health. Jesus talks about in Matthew 15, he says that out of the heart comes all of the sorts of evil and sin, sexual immorality and anger and slander. Paul says in Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all anger, get rid of all malice, get rid of all slander, get, get all the bad, just get rid of it. The question though is, where does all of that come from? Why does Jesus locate evil coming from the heart, sin coming from the heart? Well, scripture gives us three sources of wounding. Sin, broken world, broken by sin, begets and yields wounds. We've all experienced. There's sin. But then there's the powers and principalities of darkness. That there is an opposition to God's intention in your life that brings wounding usually plays upon the absence of love and the presence of pain. And there's a third reality that sometimes 
in the West we skip over, or evangelicalism we skip over. And that's trauma. That's wounding. Sin, powers and principalities, forces of evil, and trauma. That oftentimes bitterness coming from our heart is rooted in a wound. And there's sin, and there's powers of darkness, and there's a wound. We're the kind of people who are bitter, the kind of people who slander. We're the kind of people who are sexually immoral. We're the kind of people who are angry. There's are sources of wounds, and there's all different types of wounds. And so to kind of level the playing field, I wanna show you some sources of wounds and types of wounds. There's identity wounds. It's what I experienced in the sixth grade, mocking, bullying, rejection, attacking your identity. There's emotional wounds, insults, grief, loss, trauma, failure, embarrassment. There's physical wounds, injuries, surgeries, chronic illness, ailments, abuse. There's relational wounds, family wounds, father wounds, mother wounds, sibling wounds, strain, stress, regret, betrayal. There's racial wounds, ethnic discrimination, racism, hate crimes, racial bias. There's spiritual wounds, religious abuse or manipulation, toxic leadership that forms an existential anxiety. The people I thought I could trust, I can no longer trust. In fact, God calls out the leaders of Israel in Jeremiah chapter six, verse 16 for this very dynamic where he says this, the people, the, uh, the leaders, the prophets and priests, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Spiritual abuse, religious manipulation. Psychologist and theologian Adam Young provides common obstacles to these types of wounds, uh, obstacles to our own healing, minimizing our story. We say, compared to your story, my wounds, oh, they're, not, they're not that bad. We minimize. Or we spiritualize the hurt. And we often do this here. You know, God's got a plan. It works all things together for good. To God be the glory through this, which there's some truth in those statements. But often when we spiritualize over the hurt, we move too quickly past the pain. We injure ourselves and others all the more. Then there's distancing relationally. We just kind of move back from relationships. We distance ourselves from others as a response. We deny the reality in general. We neglect our emotional world. And we live at a frenetic pace, says Adam Young. A pace of life that just keeps us going so we don't have to slow down to face the wound. And in all these ways, we think we're doing ourselves a favor, forgetting the past and moving on. But really, we're just isolating ourselves. Proverbs says this in chapter 14, that there is a way that appears right, but really in the end, it's death. It's just more wounds. That even in laughter, the heart may ache and rejoicing may end in grief. We live from our depths, most of which we don't understand. Here's the bad news, if you haven't heard enough already. If we avoid our wound, we will advance wounding. If we pass by our pain, we will perpetuate wounding. But here's the good news. Healing our wounds is the very heart of God. If we avoid our wounds, we advance wounding. And so today, we're gonna see in a few scenes of scripture, a wounded wounder, someone who avoided the wound and then advanced the wounding. 
We're gonna see a wounded healer, someone who turned toward the pain and became a wounded healer. And then we're gonna go to Jesus, our wounded healer. So let's go to Genesis chapter four together and see a wounded wounder. You might know this story. It's in the early part of scripture. We're just a few pages in. Genesis 4, 1 to 9, it says this. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. This is significant because in Genesis three fifteen, God makes a promise that there will be a son who will crush the snake, the snake in the garden who brought evil and darkness into the world. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Okay, inspired by God, the author could have just written, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. The author wrote the birth order. So notice the emphasis and the focus of what the author is wanting us to see. There's a birth order. Cain was born first, Abel was born second. Now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And you see it there again, a note of birth order. The secondborn brought the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right or if you do good, will you not be accepted? In the Hebrew, it's if you do good, uplifting. His face was downcast, but if you do good, uplifting. But if you not do, do not do what is right, Sin is crouching at the door. Sin is a, is a croucher. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, this story, I wanna note the firstborn, secondborn dynamic because this is part of the wounding of Cain. Cain's the firstborn. In the ancient Near East, the firstborn blessing was very meaningful and significant. Right here in the text, though later on in the scriptures, we'll get some interpretation around what was going on. We could focus on, was it the offering that God really liked? Was it the faith that Abel had, that, had, uh, that is noted in the book of Hebrews chapter 11? But in this text right here, all we have at the beginning of the story is that Cain brought an offering and Abel brought an offering or a sacrifice. But outside the Garden of Eden, the gate is being guarded by an angel with a sword that is on fire. And they bring an offering, a sacrifice to the gate to be in the presence of God, what they were made for. It's a good thing. Cain brought an offering and Abel brought an offering and God has favor on Abel's and not Cain's. And it can be easy to see here like, oh, the wound for Cain was God's fault. And it's not. It's Cain's interpretation. It's Cain's response. Cain was wounded because he didn't receive the firstborn blessing. And this actually becomes a theme in the Old Testament, that God is reversing. He is choosing the secondborn. He is, he's doing things upside down, just like Jesus in the upside down kingdom. Cain is hurt. And God says, Cain, why are you angry? Why are you sad? And I remember from my own pain and wounding, I would project onto God when I used to read this, like God is going like, hey man, why are you angry? Why are you sad? Get over it. In baseball, uh, when you took a hit at the plate, the ball hit you, uh, the dugout would yell, wear it, which means it's like, wear it and, and take the pain, take the hit and go to first base. Deny that you're hurt. 
Is God just saying here, Cain, wear it? Are you angry? No, Cain is facing in this moment the same test that Adam and Eve faced just a chapter earlier in Genesis 3. The test of trusting that God is good, abundantly good. God, in asking Cain about his emotional world, is getting to Cain's heart, and he says, Cain, there's favor in Abel's blessing, yes, but am I not abundantly good to bless you as well? Is there not enough of me to go around? Cain, will you trust that I am the source of good for you in your life? I have blessing for you too. If you do good, blessing, uplifting. And Cain in this moment, being drawn in by God, why are you angry, Cain? Why are you sad? Let's address your emotional wounding and let's talk about this together. I wanna heal. And Cain avoids it altogether, does not even respond to God about his anger and his sadness. He avoids the pain and then advances the wounding. He says, come on, Abel, let's go to the field. Let's go out to the field where I work, where I got the fruit of the soil that I brought to God as an offering. And let's go to that place of wounding, Abel, and I'll kill you. I'll wound you from my wound. Cain avoided his wound and advanced his wounding by killing his brother. 1 John 3, 11 and 12 says this, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Spiritual and emotional health. Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. You see the dynamic of sin, the powers of darkness, and his own wound at play, where he chose to wound. Cain is the archetypal wounded wounder. Now let's go to a wounded healer. You'll turn with me to John chapter four. Another scene, a wounded healer, the Samaritan woman. John four. Now we've covered this passage many times at our church. So I just wanna summarize the first half and focus in on, it on the end. John four is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus uh, goes to a well, he's thirsty, uh, and he has a conversation with a Samaritan woman. He's crossing ethnic lines to talk to a Samaritan. He's crossing gender lines to talk to a woman in that day and age. He has a conversation with her, and the conversation ends up drawing from the well of her life her deepest pain. She's at the well, and Jesus is drawing some stuff up from her well. Deepest pain of her life. She's experienced wounding and abuse and, and being discarded as a woman. She had five husbands, and the person she was with then wasn't even her husband. And Jesus says, hey, go get your husband. And doing so is hey, drawing up her pain. And I love her response. She doesn't avoid she doesn't lean back. She actually leans into the conversation. She turns toward her pain. She tries to redirect it to theology. And often we do that, right? Let's talk theology, not my heart. She tries to do that. And Jesus just stays steady with her, patient, loving, healing. She came to the well with a jar because she was thirsty. She met Jesus and realized she came to the well with a wound. Here's what John 4 says. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So then when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. 
They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. She turns toward her pain and the conversational presence of Jesus and he's healing her. She went to the well with a jar and a wound. She left her jar at the well and ran back because she's experiencing healing. She goes to her place of woundedness that's most exposed in her community, the one that she was trying to stay away from in her shame. And she goes and she said, he knows my story. He knows my wounds. He's healing me. And it's not just a well, it's a river of life within. Come, see the man who told me everything I ever did. He knows my wounds. He's healing me. She faces her pain. She leaves her jar because she left healed. Jesus met her misery with his mercy. And that's what God does for us. Sir Christopher West says about mercy, the Latin word for mercy is misericordia. It means a heart which gives itself to those in misery. We seem to think that our misery repulses God, but God is rich in mercy. And this means it is our misery that attracts his heart to us. Like a child who instinctively and compassionately wants to mend the wing of a bird that has fallen from its nest, Christ wants to heal us and restore us to our true humanity. He wants to set us free. Christ met her misery with his mercy, her wound with his healing. If we avoid our wound, we'll advance the wounding. But if we turn toward our pain, we'll be met with God's healing. Healing our wounds is the very heart of God. And I don't know what you came in here today with, but I know this, we're all wounded. I don't know who you wounded this week, but it came from a wound. I don't know how you were wounded this week, but it came from a wound. Let's turn to our final scene, John 20, the end of John's gospel. John 20, and we'll spend some time with Jesus and Thomas. John 20, verse 24 to 29. We've seen a wounded wounder with Cain, a wounded healer with the Samaritan woman. And finally, in this scene with Jesus and Thomas, we'll see Jesus, our wounded healer. And Thomas gets a bad rap, not gonna lie. We call him what? Doubting Thomas. And partly because of what Jesus says in this passage, stop doubting and believe. But again, I always would read into that this anger behind Jesus' tone. Stop, stop doubting, Thomas. Just believe, man. Like in Genesis 4, why are you angry? Why are you sad? That's not the tone here. That's not God's heart. In this scene, we see Thomas the courageous. I don't wanna show you how. John 20. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So this is after his death and resurrection. He's alive. He's back on the scene. He's interacted with the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I'll remain a wounded, hurting cynical, skeptic. I'll stay at the bottom of deconstruction. I will not believe. I'm hurting. I thought he was the Messiah. I thought he was gonna save. He did miracles and healing and preached the good news of the kingdom of God. Unless I see his wounds? No, I can't go there. I'm not gonna believe. 
And Jesus meets Thomas' misery with his mercy. It says this, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, which is a favorite phrase of Jesus. Shalom be with you. Healing be with you. Peace. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting, Thomas. Believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And that's who we are today. Those who have not seen the resurrected Christ in person, face to face, but we are those who believe. Or you can be if you've not yet met, trusted, and followed Jesus. Jesus meets Thomas's misery with his mercy. Jesus moves toward the pain. He's drawn to the wound. Unless I see it, I won't believe. Jesus goes, here they are, man. Here's my wounds for you. Here's my scar for you. The story of healing for you, Thomas. The Psalms capture what's happening in the scene so well. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 147, three, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He doesn't treat them as not serious, saying peace, peace, where there's no peace. He says, my peace be with you. I will heal you because it's my heart for you. Rich Velotis in his book from uh, Good, Beautiful, and Kind, Becoming Whole in a Fractural World, talks about this moment that in his wounds, Jesus shows himself to be the one who identifies even in a resurrected state with humanity. Bad news, if we avoid our wounds, we'll advance the wounding good news. Healing our wounds is the very heart of God. Why? So that you and I can be transformed to be wounded healers. That your greatest place of pain can become your greatest place of ministry. That we have this treasure in jars of clay that we get to be weak with God because his spirit is strong in us. That we are wounded wounders or wounded healers, depending on letting God, the Holy Spirit, take us to the depths, most of which we don't understand, and healing us healing us. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That Jesus offers his wounds for your healing, that you might turn around like the Samaritan woman and offer your wounds for the healing people in your life, the people he calls you to, the people you're closest to. Jerry Sitzer in his book, A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss, says this. The quickest way for anyone to reach the sun and the light of day is not to run west, chasing after the setting sun, but to head east, plunging into the darkness until one comes to the sunrise. Turning toward our pain, not avoiding our wounding, is a counterintuitive move. To move toward the dark places in our life, to plunge into them, so we might come out the other side. Here's what Pete Scazzaro says about this counterintuitive 
heart of Christianity. Turning toward our pain is counterintuitive. But the heart of Christianity is that the way to life is through death. Crucifixion, resurrection. We live from our depths. We follow Jesus all the way to the cross. And like we'll celebrate in baptism today, co-crucified, co-buried, co-raised. Rich Philotus in his book again says this, in Christ, our wounds no longer need to be marks of shame, but can become signs of grace. What do we do with our wounds? What will you do with your wounds? We live from them. And we're either gonna live as a wounded wounder, unaware of our spiritual and emotional health, or we're gonna allow the Holy Spirit to guide us to become wounded healers. So how do we become wounded healers in closing three thoughts? The first is this, we must turn toward our pain. Turn toward our pain. Gotta cut into the baseball, get past the yarn and see the cork in the middle. Gotta turn toward our pain, go to the wound. Turn toward our pain. The second thing is this, name our shame. The very thing you don't wanna do, do that. Name our shame. The lies and the vows. The lies, when I was in sixth grade, I, I'm not worthy of belonging here. The vow, I will prove myself worthy of belonging here. That is in part a discovery from even this week of doing story work again, of turning toward my pain, naming my shame. This week I went to Sunset Point at Grapevine Lake, a great little deck out there on the Flower Mound side, if you haven't been. And I just processed a little bit of my story. I went through each year some hurts because hurts indicate wounds. I wrote down, okay, maybe here's a lie that I think I believed. And then maybe here's a vow that has shaped my life. How do I become the Batman? And I just worked through my story and God revealed stuff. The spirit took me places. Uh, like Jesus says to Peter in the end of John, I, I took me places I didn't wanna go. But it was for my healing. And that's number three, allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. You can't do this on your own and you're not doing it alone. God is with you. Turn toward your pain, name your shame, allow the Spirit to guide you. Scripture talks about the Spirit as the comforter or advocate. The promise of God is to comfort those who mourn and to bind up our brokenhearted. Allow the Spirit to guide you so that your Wounds no longer need to be a place of shame, but a sign of grace. And these are the wounds of Jesus, are they not? A sign of grace. This is what he showed when he invited his disciples to receive communion. It's what he shows when he invites us today to receive communion, to go to receive his wounds for our healing. And so if you have your elements for communion, let's, Go with Jesus now to do that. And if you would, let's take a moment to pray. Spirit of God, we acknowledge your presence here with us because you are a God of mercy who moves toward misery, a God of love that brings healing. Some of us, God, have had barriers around our wounds for so long, and I ask, Spirit of God, that you would break through the barriers, that today could be the day of healing, the beginning of a journey as we trust in you. 
I pray for those today, God, in the room, this wide spectrum of response of emotions that are bubbling up, of stories that we're remembering, of wounds that are being uncovered. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you search our hearts? Would you test us and see if there's any anxious thoughts in there? Any vows, any lies that we can surrender to you today? Would you heal? Thank you for sending Jesus, Father, our wounded healer. Jesus, thank you for being our wounded healer and that by your wounds, we are healed. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's receive the body of Christ. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's receive the cup. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.